Hello and welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows, one of the shows that we have up on air and online, accurately stated as uh, two somewhat different things. But one way or the other, the shows are up all the time, on air and online, and you find them at www.centerlefttalkradio. One word, centerlefttalkradio.com. Uh, you'll, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the link, that's our homepage. That's the homepage of Center Left Radio. And when you're there, you, uh, you know, you, you look around on the homepage there. There's that big picture of the microphone. And right below it, there are two links. And the first one is a link to all of our podcasts. Go there and you'll, you may be there right now listening to this show. Or you might have gone to the second link. And another reason why you're listening to this show, it's the same show. It will be the show, it's the link that will take you to the radio loop of this show. A, a version of this show that is running, being, uh, being sent out live. It's, it's, it's happening on a computer. There is roughly a, not, not built in, but just by the nature of how much traffic is going on through the different servers and everything else, between what I can listen to in the audio of the computer running the show and what you're hearing on your end, there's probably something like the old seven or eight second delay that was mandated uh, by the Federal Communications Commission, I believe still is, for live radio and uh, is it TV as well? No, I'm not sure. I know it's for radio. They had they had the seven second delay, so that uh, you could, if necessary, you had the option. You had you had the switch on your desk, literally, uh, where you could hit the delay and reset it, and that would cancel out anything that you had said or anything that had been picked up on the live mic in the last seven or so seconds, and it would not make it out on air. And it was, it was a last opportunity, as it were, to radio station people who basically were operating, uh, you know, with a, with a federally issued license to, uh, to use that particular frequency uh, and go out with their programming. If you messed up, you could stop what you did before it got out there. There was a, there was a real live, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a dead man switch, but there, there, was a, there was a last opportunity to correct, to think about, to, to, uh, to then try to, you know, very, very smoothly say, well, you know, uh, we... Uh, uh, we, we had a problem there for a second. We're just resetting. Maybe this would frequently happen while there was an interview going on. Maybe it was a, um, a call-in interview. Or maybe it was a show where there was uh, some very controversial guest on. But, but we, 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 we all understood, who, listening to this happen, that some line had been crossed, some, some barrier uh, that that was respected, had been transgressed, 
And this was an opportunity to pull back. It, it, it reminded us that there were boundaries, that there, that there were parameters, that, that we, we would go, and, and that we, we being, in, in the case of, of, of broadcasters, people doing shows, uh, self-edited. We pulled ourselves away from the brink, as it were. We, we respected rules that everyone was expected to obey, at least about licensed stations, stations with a W or a K in front of them uh, as licensed by the federal government all over the country or under the auspices of the federal government, Westinghouse or Kelvin, all over the country. And I, I, I just say that because, you know, the, the sense of, of respecting uh, larger rules, the things that we might have expected automatically, this, this is the thing that's being, well, I, I, I would, I would want to have said nibbled away at. I would feel better being able to say it's being nibbled away at. It's being, it's being sledgehammered away. It's being blasted away these days in the country. I didn't take the opportunity to say by whom, but I just think in general, we're losing this, this larger sense of norms simply because no one seems particularly bound by them, especially the people at the top. I, I say this with full knowledge of something that happened yesterday. Uh, that, that is just sort of perfectly emblematic of this breakdown of norms, of, of, of how things are supposed to be reacted to, how, how we deal with, with imposed limitations, commonly accepted boundaries. Uh, there were five summonses issued I, uh, were they issued by Congress? Or were they issued by the Justice Department? No, they were issued by they were issued by the by the January sixth Commission, not yet by the Justice Department, against sitting members of the House of Representatives: Mo Brooks, uh, Jim Jeffries, uh, Kevin McCarthy, of course. You know, five people who the, the, the record has already long since been established, were deeply and totally involved with Donald Trump in talking through or in various aspects of the planning for the event or the aftermath of the insurrection that took place on January 6th, 20, uh, 2021. The sort of closing act at the time, at least, of the, of the Trump presidency, um, well, my, just prior to the, uh, the impeachment that that brought about also. And what, is, uh, what everybody knows at this point is that the same people who ignored the congressional invitations, the congressional requests to appear, the, uh, the, the uh, you know, uh, uh, Duke's take-homes that may have come, the, the, the demands for various information. The same people who ignored those, which were these guys, they'll ignore these subpoenas as well and dare uh, the Justice Department to do something more about it. Uh, there is this, this constant 
game being played that I can, and if you're high enough up in government, I can ignore your rules. This, this is a, a very dangerous precedent. If you or I were to get a subpoena to appear, a subpoena to, uh, to uh, well, in, in essence, you get a subpoena to appear for jury duty. If, if, if you were to get a, a, uh, a letter that says you're to appear for jury duty, and you simply decide, well, no, I'm going to ignore that, what, what do you think would happen? Well, the assumption, people have done that and found out with, with some regularity, I would gather, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have statistics in front of me, but with some regularity that you will be gotten to and, and, and the results can be messy because then you've ignored a direct demand of either the federal, the state, the local, depending on who the body was that was demanding your presence on a jury. If you are if you are demanded to appear in a trial, if you are if you are called as a witness, if you're called to a grand jury, and you simply say, "Well, I I don't recognize the validity," no, no, you can you can basically attempt to quash the subpoena that would bring you before a grand jury, but you can't simply of your own volition say. This is no good. I don't believe this because it's part of a witch hunt. You can't invalidate the entire mechanism of government based on your perception that there is a political motivation to the ultimate demand being made of you. Once you, once you leapfrog the actual process and allow your estimation of its motivation to become more important than the actual mechanism that is having an impact on you, the, the subpoena. Once, once your, your personal evaluation is, becomes greater than that, then you have this issue where there, where the, where the, the mechanism is, and 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 the and the authority of the institution is being basically declared meaningless, nil, and 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 that's precisely what we're watching happen regularly at the federal level of this government, more and more now. We we know that there there was this this desire this absolute willingness to overcome norms or traditions. This has been this has been a big ongoing thing for over twenty years now. I think it really goes back to to about the two thousand election, and 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 just the. The absolute unwillingness uh, in, in, in Bush v. Gore to accept, well, I, I guess we could argue this forever, but within Congress, in the Mitch McConnell age especially, it is this willing, uh, this willing or this willful uh, breaking of norms and rules 
in the expressed interest of preserving or gaining power. Power is given as the reason why breaking rules are important. And the people and, and who and what is appealed to in breaking these rules are the constituents. It's, it's the base of the group that is supposedly being represented. We are doing this for you. If we don't if we don't seize power and maintain it by whatever way we can, then you, our constituents, will basically never get what you are supposed to receive. You will be the losers for this, and your loss will be even greater than the loss that would be experienced by all of us once we've jettisoned these norms, these boundaries, these accepted rules of behavior that bind us all. It's more important to unbind yourself from the norm, this, 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 this rule of behavior that joins us all, that keeps us all from going too far off the deep end. It's more important to get rid of the norms and the, and the traditions and just chuck them all. Because what you're about to lose, if we don't hold on to power by any means, is so great that it'll make any norm that we're trying to protect, protect or any norm that we're all trying to adhere to, it, it, will, it will just make it, uh, it'll balderize it. It'll make it, it'll make it an irrelevant, it'll be silly looking back that, geez, we gave up an opportunity for power in order to play fair or play by the old rules of this institution. That, that's, that's the political world we're in right now. And I would argue that it, it gets amplified constantly by repetition, that we get to a point, or we've gotten to a point in this country, where no one really remembers or is willing to focus on what it would be like to play by rules again. The assumption seems to be that if I were to just go back to playing by norms and rules, I would immediately lose whatever advantage I might have. And it's only an advantage that I get what I want. And what I want is my constituency to react positively to me. I want my constituency to have an emotionally positive reaction to what I am doing, to who I am and what I'm doing. And in order to sustain this sense of all or nothing that, that, that makes it reasonable to get rid of norms and, and, and boundaries and traditions, it has to be a very emotional, a very visceral feeling that I communicate. You, you have to feel in your gut that it's an all-or-nothing situation. So I must constantly reproject to my constituency the, the 
all or winner take all, zero sum, all or nothing nature of everything that I'm doing. And in the process of projecting that, norms and traditions and boundaries and niceties and the whole concept of progressive-ism. No, not left-wing to the extreme progressive, but simply the mechanism by which we've operated for, we're supposed, at least on paper, for 250 years, never, never, all, never perfectly and never all the time. But the thing that says that ultimately we have to all respect one another and we have to compromise. We have, to find, we have to find fora within which to argue out our differences, and then we compromise because no one can win everything in one shot over anything. We have completely, or, or damn near completely in the past 20 years, certainly in the last four or five just shredded that notion, the notion of progressivism, the notion that this show has been promoting for five and a half years now. And remember, we did our first show not, not too long after the inauguration of Donald Trump. We were up and running, I would say, by, by March or April of 2020. And we kept talking about, and our title is center-left radio, the progressive voice. Well, that progressive is about progressivism. It's progressive. It's, it's, it's what keeps us moving forward. The notion that we can compromise is not a, a perpetual repetition of failure. No, it's the only mechanism at, that we and the founding fathers have found that can both keep us together and move us forward and ultimately give us a, a rational basis for building and evolving in a positive direction. If everything is a winner-take-all, zero-sum, and you simply volley back and forth to whoever has the power on that day, that month, that congressional session, and take over and undo what the other guy is doing, which is what we're heading for, you cannot move a country forward. You cannot move a progressive democracy, and I use that term in its technical sense. You can't move a progressive democracy forward, and if you don't move a democracy forward, a democracy can't sit in place. It must evolve. I know this is hard to explain to a lot of people. Because, you know, everybody, you wake up the next day uh, and it's still there and you go to school, you go to, you go to wherever you go, you, go, you get on the train, you go shopping, you see your neighbors, you have, you have a beer. The country hasn't gone, to, it hasn't gone to hell. All kinds of ridiculous, horrible things are happening that you read about in the news and all kinds of insanity within the Congress and what the hell's going on in the Supreme Court. But, you know... Everything is pretty much the way it was the day before. So how much can any of this have any real effect on my life? Well, let, 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 me, let, me, let me explain something to you. There is a draft opinion that basically, written by Justice Alito, agreed to by uh, the, uh, by, uh, it's a 5-4 conservative uh, group, uh, not including Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, it includes 
at least two justices of the three that came in under Trump uh, that basically uh, proved that they lied during their Senate confirmation hearings. They both said that Roe v. Wade was sacrosanct and that stare decisis, the, the, the ancient rule of the court that says that all rulings will remain in place and that they remain in place until there is a valid constitutional reason or can be. It's a rare thing that you reverse them. And it, it is probably the most extreme illogical legal reasoning I've ever seen. It's purely emotional, and it was used to remove a 50-year right, a right of women, a right, a, a human right, granted, granted con constitutional protection, has been turned on its head, and no more, va no more significant a right than, than the right to one's own body to have a right over what happens to one's body. And on the other side of that, of course, the argument is being used by, uh, by the people who have been running after this for years and years. Um, well, it, it, it's murder, it's, it's destruction, it's blah, blah, blah. Uh, once, you know, at the, at the second of conception, a, human, a potential human is there, and you can't touch that forever and ever. And that's great church doctrine, and I think that's fine. And you should preach that from every pulpit in the country, that, and, and, and you should demand that your membership follow those rules, and you should, uh, fathers should uh, yell at their daughters never to uh, have uh, premarital sex and, and scream at their wives if they should even imagine doing uh, any of that and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and imagine that they're, uh, you know, uh, in Godfather 2 when Michael finds out that Kate basically has had an abortion, he slaps her and that's the end of the marriage right there, blah, oh, all of that. that that's fine. But what you can't do is reverse a right that's been given. This was argued to death. All of the rationale, all of the theological versus uh, biological versus viability and everything, this was argued ad infinitum back in the 60s and 70s. We know what the world was like before Roe v. Wade. We know how that operates. You can't have a democracy simply evaporate a 50-year-old constitutionally supported right. It, it, it's, it, it's without precedent, but it's on the verge of being done. And the implications of this are beyond, I think, anything that anyone has really taken into account. There's one particular mechanism that would be set in place. And, and, and again, there are ironies. Uh, beside the, the, the irony, the tragedy and the irony will go hand in hand with this. But there's one particular mechanism that will be set in place 
uh, one particular clause of the Constitution, not an amendment, an original clause, Article 4 of the Constitution has something called the full faith and credit clause. Have you, uh, if you're not an attorney, you, you, you probably haven't heard it, and, you, and I'm, I guarantee you, you haven't heard this spoken of recently in the media. Maybe you have. I, I haven't. Not in the larger media, not not in the in the more uh, you know and the more parochial groupings of, of of media people that I would refer to. But this this one thing, perhaps more than any other, will wind up being the vehicle that could could act actually stop the effective functioning of our government in less than a year. I, I mean that. It could... What? Full faith and credit? What? Bear with me. I, 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 I think what we're going to do... You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break now uh, before we get into a discussion of the full faith and credit clause and what this all means in the context of what's going on. Uh, it is Friday. I, I, un unfortunately, David Bach will not be with us today. He had other obligations. It's Friday the 13th, by the way. Um, not that that should mean anything, but I just find it curious that I'm discussing, or at least musing about, the, uh, the possibility that the government could be just basically stifled. I would guess, in the course of a year. And a year is a, is a rough time frame. It's, it's a little more, a little less, probably a little more. But we're not, I'm not talking about, no, it'll take 50 years. No, no, no. In the relatively near term, you know, uh, sooner than people uh, starting today uh, to plan a wedding would actually have that wedding. That's how fast this could all happen. Uh, and we'll do that. Um, after we've had time to digest the very thought of it, I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying this as a as a as a cliffhanger to come back to listen to the second half of the show. I'm saying it. Well, you'll you'll form your own opinions when you hear why, and hopefully you'll get to form them with me after a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. We're back, and you're listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. You're listening to us on the web at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. You uh, very well may be uh, listening to us as a podcast, which you can do from our website. You may be listening to us as a radio loop, which you have to do basically uh, tapping into our website and that particular uh, link, www.centerlefttalkradio.com. You can also listen to podcasts of Center Left Radio by going to wherever you Get your podcast. Just look in that case for Center Left Radio. The thing I was talking about before we went to break was the notion that uh, something as, as basic as the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution might be the foundation, if you will, for, or, or, maybe, the, or maybe the precipitating uh, mechanism by which we stop functioning as a country. Well, I mean, do, do, what does that mean? What is what, what's 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 Gazer's image of not functioning? I mean that uh, that. Well, I have to first discuss what full faith and credit means, don't I? The full faith and credit clause of the Constitution says this. It's Article 4, Section... Oh, dear, I don't have it in front of me here. But 
uh, but it's it's Article Four. It's not an amendment. It's 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 in the heart of the original document. It says that the individual states, and I'm not reading this. I'm paraphrasing it. So forgive me if I get the words wrong. Please, strict constructionists, be forewarned. Don't come bothering me if I don't say the words exactly. Um, Every state has to respect the laws of every other state. Now, that's the simplest way to put it. Now, you know, if in a federal system, we have federal law. And federal law, by its own definition, is supposed to and does, on paper, supersede state law. The, 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 one of the largest manifestations of that of late have been, uh, and you, you've watched this happen recently, uh, there's been uh, federal law uh, banning marijuana has been out there forever. Well, you're watching state by state making it legal. Now, technically, if it's still a federal crime, uh, the federal government technically could choose to prosecute. In New York State, now that we have legalized uh, marijuana, in New Jersey, same story, either it's immediate or it's there, it's another day or two, I don't keep up with this. Uh, you could still have the federal government, which to my knowledge has, even as other states, certainly as, as, as Colorado was bringing their legalized marijuana online, the federal government could still go in and say, well, now, you need, now you've broken a federal law. So the FBI could go out, or federal agents could go out, and basically uh, either shut down a legal, a otherwise legal uh, shop operating under state law in Colorado, or they could, I imagine, begin arresting people who had marijuana on them and or in their pockets. And we could have a repetition of, of what happened uh, to New York back in the 19, uh, was it in the early 80s, when, when Nelson Rockefeller essentially, uh, in a, uh, the, uh, when he, towards the end of his governorship, in a, in a fit of utterly misguided uh, public uh, service, decided to make the possession of as little as an ounce of marijuana punishable by a mandatory life imprisonment uh, you know, uh, penalty sentence. You can imagine the type, of, the type of frustrated madness that went into that. Uh, to, to conflate that with heroin and all and, and all the other heavy-duty drugs and the things that were involved with the heavy commission of crime, but of course marijuana was also, uh, there was always, always the in part, the cartels and everything else was still operating along those lines. No, marijuana, if you had an ounce of marijuana in your pocket, were caught with it in New York, you weren't smoking it, you were caught with it. And, and that, that, you know, one, one, one reefer, you know, one, one, uh, one you, you easily, you had an ounce if you had one in your pocket and you got caught. Mandatory life in prison. People, people were sent up. I think they're all out now. I hope they were all, I hope these have all been commuted at this point. I mean, but this is how insane it was. You go from that to total legality. Now, again, if the federal government decides that it still has a rule saying we're not going to accept it, they could technically overrule. But 
my understanding is the federal government is going to basically defer to the states as they go further and further along with the liberalization of marijuana laws. But, but this is the supremacy, this is the supremacy clause of the Constitution. This is, this is not the same thing as the, um, uh, you know, as the full faith and credit clause. Full faith and credit says individual states will respect the other states' laws. Supremacy law says federal law supersedes state law. Now, how, how the federal government would decide to implement or enforce its own laws is, is a question of how the federal government wants to operate. Let's delve into Roe v. Wade for a moment. Judge Alito, uh, in a fit of Nelson Rockefeller-esque uh, legal uh, inspiration, or basically uh, fear, maybe more likely fear-induced uh, religious frenzy, decides that it's about time to overrule a 50-year um, precedent. Uh, he does it uh, as writing on behalf of the three justices who basically were brought on board by Trump. All three of them are signed on to this, that, hit them, plus Alito, plus, of course, Clarence Thomas, the, the, the Clarabel, Clarabel Thomas, as far as I'm concerned. He's a clown. He's useless. He's been sitting on that court for years and years and years. Meanwhile, his wife is an insurrectionist. And, well, don't get me there. I don't want to go there again. Uh, and, and he writes an opinion that basically says a 50-year rule, a 50-year right, is no longer a right. And we know that somewhere around a dozen or more states uh, will have instantaneous laws. The second that that, that opinion is filed, it's made official. A dozen or more law states will automatically have laws that will make it criminal uh, to have an abortion. He said, well, we're leaving it to the states. We're going to give it back to the states. And, and uh, I'm surprised, well, and, and most of these states that are saying, well, why, why even that? It's, 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 it's murder, isn't it? You can't have murder in one state and not murder in another. So shouldn't we just have a federal law that says it's all murder? Because that's what God says it is. And who knows, you know, the, 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 the twisted logic that was going on back in the 60s and 70s and all the yelling and screaming uh, that, that basically made Roe v. Wade such a brilliant decision, leaving it in the hands of women, all of that, again, is, is about to go out the window. It's about to turn into the same screaming, yelling, and saying that. But, but it will do it in the context of destroying a 50-year right. We will have thrown the brakes on the evolution of democracy. Remember, a, 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 a part, part of the definition of any viable constitu any viable constitutional democracy, liberal democracy like ours, the basically the beacon of the world, the one that everybody looks to, everybody looks to America one way or the other, 
We're the biggest, we're the strongest, we have the most money, we have the biggest economy, we have the largest army, we have the most fun, we have the, the, the biggest press, we have the most free speech. Ultimately, people want to come here. We have the most opportunity. Somehow that equates out of all of these most ofs. That all goes to hell instantly. We now throw the brakes on everything and say we are going to nosedive. We're going to throw the shifter into reverse and we're going to slam the pedal to the metal. We are going to go backwards 50 years. We've never done anything quite like this before. We are going to illiberalize the country based on the ruling of three politically appointed justices by a guy who has already proven that he is not bound by norms, by, by, by law, by conscience. A, a clinical narcissist basically has set this in motion. Well, well again, how, how does all this, what, what, is, what does any of this have to do with the full faith and credit clause? Well, if individual states begin to enact, and by the way, you know that New York and Connecticut have already enacted laws that say that we are safe havens for abortion. Safe haven. I, I, I haven't read the full text of these laws yet. But we are, a, we are going to put additional money out. We are going to build additional clinics. We know that there will be a huge influx of people from other states. We will make ourselves available for abortions. This is still going to be an impossible situation for the vast majority of poor women who get abortions. And on top of that, 50% of all abortions these days are done via the morning after equivalent pills that are done. That's how most abortions, well, more than 50%. So what those that, are, that require abortion clinics, more than a month or so, I think, I think those pills are good for, I don't know, was it a couple of months out maybe? That might work. Anything beyond that, you're going to need an abortion clinic. Anything short of viability, which is a, which is a rational ruling, and you're going to need a clinic. And New York and Connecticut and New Jersey are all saying, we're going to be safe havens for you. Okay, so let's say that Ohio passes a law that says it's not only, it's criminal to do an abortion. And um, it is punishable by, uh, let's see, the abortionist would receive uh, a minimum of uh, 30 years in prison. The person seeking the abortion would be considered a, it would be considered a, um, well, let's call it a uh, uh, manslaughter you be guilty of manslaughter. And, and this passes in the state of Ohio. It's the law. The, their legislature, in their infinite wisdom, based on the, uh, on, on, the, uh, on, on the destruction of Roe v. Wade, has now criminalized, truly criminalized, abortion. They, they could go so far if they wanted to... Uh, to turn it into a, into a felony that would require um, incarceration of the doctor. Mandatory incarceration, if you like. Found to have committed a, a, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. So, you, oh, she went across state lines. She went to New York. Oh. 
Well, gee, you know, New York has a whole different set of rules. Well, Ohio finds out that our pregnant lady has gone across, has traveled, literally traveled by bus, interstate travel, and has traveled to New York for an abortion. And they say to New York, a, a lawsuit is brought against this woman who is now scared for her life, staying in New York at the moment. And the lawsuit says, what do you think the lawsuit says? Damn right you know what it says. Damn, lady, you've committed a crime. And, and, and the abortionist who did this in New York, by our laws, this is a crime. And I'm sorry that you felt you had to go across state lines to do it. But New York State, we're suing, we're suing you, and we are compelling you to return her here to face prosecution in Ohio for what we deem to have been a crime. I'm sorry, the way we worded our, the way we worded our statute, our law, the fact that she went outside of the state to do it? No. She was an Ohio resident, and she basically was pregnant in the state of Ohio. She got pregnant in the state of Ohio. It would probably have to say something like that. And then she left Ohio in order to basically do that which would otherwise be illegal. Return her for prosecution, because our laws make her responsible. And by the way, would you mind sending your doctors over so that we can prosecute them as well? Does this sound nuts to you? Does this seriously? Does this sound does this sound insane? Does this sound like something out of the handmaid's tale? It shouldn't. Because it's absolutely, I would say it's absolutely likely that there will be laws constructed for the specific reason, specifically to create this situation. Why? Why, why would any state set itself up to create a law that would automatically bring it into conflict with another state, knowing that that state already has a separate situation going on. Why? Well, because they will then be able to say, aha, New York, Ohio says, you're in violation of the full faith and credit clause of the United States Constitution. And the irony of that statement will just, there, there will be, there, there should be peals of laughter in the audience watching all this play out. And then, but some tears at the same time. Remember, because this is based on five whacked out justices, three of them appointed by Trump, two of them at least who have lied during their Senate confirmations. Samuel Alito proving that he is, he is still completely tied to Anton Scalia's warped notion of originalism in the Constitution, completely misreading it and imagining that you can use the constitutional notion, a theory of the Constitution, is a perfectly good reason for destroying the country that the Constitution is supposed to support and protect. But, 
but they you you manufacture you see this this is the sign of the times you manufacture this conflict it's it's us versus them it has nothing to do with the fact that to push this hard enough you will ultimately have a breach of the full faith and credit clause by well, ultimately, New York could have a reciprocal law saying that any effort made by any other state to basically dis discredit this law will basically result, will be illegal, blah, blah, blah. So New York just sets up their own law that goes back and forth, and now they can both start claiming breach of the full faith and credit clause. You're not paying attention to my laws. Why haven't you sent her back so we could prosecute her and sent the doctor with her? And New York says, you are breaching my law by attempting to to uh, blah, 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 arrest this woman and everything because you cannot do that to someone who has had a, a legal action taken in this state. And Ohio, and New York says, would you just use your brain, Ohio? Republicans running Ohio, would you use your brains? Be, be satisfied with the fact that you've got this cockamamie law, which is sick and destructive of the Constitution. But recognize that if you push this this full faith and credit crap, unfortunately you wind up calling it that after a while, then basically we are going to have to violate it. You are going to have to violate ours. We will have to violate yours. It will obviate full faith and credit. And if there's no full faith and credit on this, then what laws will we have full faith and credit floor? What laws of Ohio, what, will we still have extradition for anything? If someone committed a crime in Ohio and runs to New York, will we allow Ohio to make out a uh, request for extradition? If, if there are um, manufacturing laws in one state that demand a product uh, meet certain requirements, uh, automobiles, uh, the California clean air standards, will no one observe them any longer? Will California just ignore every... There are so many things that we do in this country on a practical level, day by day, that require a, a respect for the rules of other states. How will we basically ignore full faith and credit for a law that's obviously designed to be ugly and punitive that basically reverses 50 years of a right that takes what was other that takes what was yesterday a right and a privilege and today turns it into a crime how do we how do we take a law that is so mean spirited how do we take a supreme court decision that's so misguided and so thoughtless that gave rise to these decisions, that's so politically based, how do we then go ahead and give respect to those laws? We are not. We're already setting up the mechanisms that say we will not respect these laws. If we are gonna now selectively say that there are laws that we will not respect, then 
how do we define what laws, shared law, laws of other states, we will respect? How long will it take for a group of states, call them, um, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a confederacy, a, a joining together, a, a unification of a group for a particular, per, a confederacy of states, united by a particular concept, how long would it take for a confederacy of states to develop that all had this same attitude towards these laws that all felt affronted by the lack of full faith and credit being given. And, and, and of course, and on the other side, of course, the remaining un, uh, unpurposefully confederated states would be making sure that they are setting up their own laws to say, oh yeah, well there's a reciprocal uh, lack of full faith and credit being given by you to our laws because once a woman is crossed into our state, blah, 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 and our state says that this is no longer a blah, 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 blah. Supreme Court resolved this, say the Confederacy, the new Confederacy, the NC. The new Confederacy says, we want the Supreme Court to resolve this by making all abortion absolutely illegal everywhere. And that will, because of the, of, the, of the supremacy clause, that federal law, and that's what the Supreme Court rules on, it's constitutional, therefore it's federal, that will therefore overwhelm everything. And let's say because it is so goddamned awful political, and no one believes the damn court anyway at this point, somehow they do manage to come up with a five to four decision including the three Trump-appointed, two of whom lied already on the stand, saying, yeah, you know what, Alito, and, and, and Sam Alito writes the decision, yeah, you know what, I, I, I didn't go far enough. It is also, it's criminal, it's murder, abortion is murder, and therefore anything that any other state had out there saying, you see where that goes. And what does New York and Connecticut and New Jersey do in that instance? And this would come, of course, after all of these laws had been denied full faith and credit by both sides. Then what do you do? Oh, well, now that the Supreme Court, who we all respect and revere, has said that it's totally criminal, well, well we, we, we'll give... We will, of course, give over our women. We will take our laws off our books and give over women, any woman who might have come in. I don't know, she would have had the legal abortion in New York. Of course. Do, you, do you see where this is going? Does anyone, does anyone have it in their head where the hell this leads? And this would be done. The, the new Confederacy states would be doing this more than not with a political gain in mind. This would be to appeal to their bases because the desire for abortion would still exceed 66, better than two-thirds of the country, still want to have free and fair and safe abortions. As we say this, this is still there. That's all ignored. It's as though all of this can be done outside of two things, with, with complete ignorance of two things, and ignorance in the sense of ignoring. We can ignore what the people actually want, 
because we know what our base wants. So we could ignore everyone and everything else because we've worked out a system where there is essentially, and this is a Republican thing, we have a tyranny of the minority. And our minority, we know that we can get them to respond thusly. Now we do this and we'll, and we'll give them all the red meat they want and we'll make this criminal and horrible and then we'll basically do it and we'll put it into law knowing that, well, you know, we all get up the next morning and do whatever we're going to do and we don't worry about the, the consequences of these things. Well, why, why worry about it? It's all just so that we'll get them to vote for us and Donald will be pumping his fist somewhere in the background. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? That by allowing this decision to become the law of the land and knowing already in advance how many states are about to have laws triggered criminalizing this and how this will play out in the full faith and credit arena of the entire country, and how this will galvanize the new confederacy. They don't live within pure contiguous borders. I think it really winds up being two large groupings of states, two, two large blocks on the map, going up through the, the central part of the country and then the south, south and southeast, <coughs> and everything else around it trying to be a, uh, you know, a, an oasis of, of rationalism and sanity. Now, now, I haven't even begun to talk about where this leaves the rest of the planet watching this idiocy play out. I, we're not talking about the rest of the planet watching our current idiocy play out. And the fact that there's still a guy out there, Donald Trump, who in any other country in the world, and I mean this literally, a sitting president who foments insurrection against the country that he is sworn to protect, and he basically attempts to destroy the Constitution or overrule the Constitution of his own country to preserve his own power in literally any other country on the planet. That person is either already invalidated from the possibility of holding future public office, indicted and in the middle of a criminal situation, or quite honestly, has already faced a firing squad. That's, that's the reality. And yet we are living in an environment here where this Insanity is simply being allowed to percolate on and on and on, and no one seems to be noticing. No one seems to be noticing what invariably comes once, and this is, it could be as early as next month, once the Supreme Court publishes its final decision here. What will happen once all of these new laws are triggered into existence? What will happen in the practical world of people coming across state lines to have safe abortions in safe states like New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut? 
what, what, what happens? What does this do to the remaining states where there's no longer a question of norm or decency or historical precedent, where all this has gone to hell, where stare decisis is meaningless, where the authority of the Supreme Court of the United States is optional at best, ignored or laughed at, more likely. Who can believe a court where two of the members of a five-person a decision of a 5-4 decision where two of the members lied under oath during their confirmations concerning the very issue, the very issue that this decision involves, the right of a woman to a fair and safe and free and, and well, a, a, a safe and, 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 and medically appropriate abortion based on her decision. Who is going to believe any of this? And all of these little norms, all of these individual uh, mechanisms for, for maintaining the cohesiveness of a, of a liberal democracy begin to just crumble because everybody simply recognizes or assumes, well, why didn't we realize what these things really were? They're just political mechanisms. No one really has to obey or, or, or focus on any of these things. They're, they're just political things. Until we realize that we've politicized enough of the norms and the rules, and, and in the case of uh, what's happening with Roe v. Wade, we have, de we have delegitimatized, or the, cor the court, the Supreme Court, has, will have literally delegitimatized itself the Congress, should you get someone like, uh, should uh, somehow the Republicans come back in? Well, right now, we have the, we have the, the, the denial of subpoenas, uh, basically. So there is no authority to Congress. It, that's been totally politicized. So, so the legislative function is meaningless. At least the, the congressional part of that has become meaningless. It's all about power. It has nothing to do with rules and laws. I don't know when that begins to get into the minds of the American people generally. In other words, if, I, if it means I can get power, then basically if I outpower you in some way, the rule of the law that I'm breaking in the process is meaningless. My capacity to assert my power supersedes any adherence or any, any obligation to adhere to a standing rule of law that's supposed to be respected by all of us? No. No, no, we have the new confederacy and we have whatever they want to call themselves. The United States, what's so united about that? Ha, they're split apart on the map. What's so united about these people? The libs? Yeah, we call them the lib states. Ha, we're the new con and they're the libs. You, 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 yeah, you, you, you can laugh at this. You can, you can say, oh, that's, that's crazy. I am telling you as I say this to you, we are playing with fire in this country as I've never imagined we would play with it. I have never seen such irresponsibility. And it all could have been prevented because at every turn, at every moment, when there was the opportunity to dislocate, to, to, to disconnect 
from Donald. When the Republicans could have walked away from this, they could have just let him go after the insurrection. It was all, that, that was it. Any number of times, any, every single time a conscious decision was made to basically allow fear and a willingness to hope that someone else would do it for them, overrode their obligation to their own oath of office as members of the Congress of the United States. And I take this right down to state legislatures as well. Everybody's scared to death of the beast that has been created. And that beast is basically the base of the Republican Party that comes out in primaries. And it gets pointed to again and again, Trump and it are related to one another. And this is how it works. And it, it's an animal. It, it, it's, it's, this, it's this red meat craving animal, as it's portrayed, at least that's the image. And it demands red meat. It demands the nastiest, most horrible, worst things you can imagine. It, it demands retribution. It doesn't demand getting anything done. It demands the most important thing of all, that a red meat demanding thing. It demands retribution. It demands getting even. It demands making, making up for. Doesn't mean, it, it doesn't build, it doesn't, it doesn't create, it doesn't evolve. It, sure, it goes backwards. Backwards is exactly how this would work. Where else do you go when you want to get rid of and change and get even with an... That's where you go. And the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate could have stopped this at any point. But they had to hold on to Trump because they were afraid. Fear, 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 always at the heart and soul of all of this. Oh, it's not going to happen. No, there would never be a, a, a reaffiliation of states based on criminalized abortion laws and their grievances about the fact they're not receiving full faith and credit in the lib states. No, that could never happen. Really? You really think so? You really think there isn't enough stupidity and anger and irresponsibility on the part of the Republicans in the world right now to actually allow that to happen? That they, if you've allowed, if you've allowed things to go this far, do you really think you can't find some kind of excuse in your mind and say, well, now it's inevitable, it's out of our hands. There's no one to stop it. We can't stop it. It's too big. Whatever, whatever the reasoning is. You really think it can't go that far? This is what I'm telling you to be most aware of. This affiliation of states around the worst possible set of laws ever created because they reinitiate or they, they, they basically glorify the total destruction of a 50-year-old right of they glorify the destruction of stare decisis as a pillar of the Supreme Court. It will be a monument to the dysfunctionality or the total non-functionality 
of a large part of American society and American law. All because the Republicans just couldn't find the way to dislodge Donald. They fell in love with him. They couldn't get away from the cult of personality. They couldn't find their way back to the Constitution. God, I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, that's why they play the games. A little more jazz. been listening to Central F Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you once again for being part of today's show. For the moment, just the moment, we have the semblance of functionality in our democracy, but in very little time, if the opinion of Judge Alito in Roe v. Wade in destroying it takes full force, there will be a series of laws put into place that may result in a total destruction of the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution.